Welcome to Manna for Breakfast, the daily Bible reading devotional which chronologically takes you through the Word of God from Genesis to Revelation in one year. Grab a cup of coffee and your Bible and join us as we journey together through God's Word. Welcome, everybody. Nice to have you guys with us this morning. Ezekiel 24, 25, and 26 this morning. If you can look at your place, 1 Peter 2. And we are hovering at another beautiful, I think it's 67 right now. I knew it was cool. 67 degrees. Now, that's getting into winter <laughs> weather for us. Now we're, you get in the, the 60s, now we're, we're throwing on parkas and coats and hats and it's um yeah everybody's gonna start thinking it's gonna snow around here the uh humidity also dropped way down to 66 so we're seeing a drastic change just in the last three days of where we were like a week ago in the 80s and high humidity okay this is amazing i did not know we were 67 this morning Hmm. well let's pray Father, thank you for this morning, and we do ask that you would bless our time as we look into these things in your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Ezekiel 24. This is all about the parable of the boiling pot. Some of you might remember this. The word of the Lord came to me in the ninth year, in the tenth month, on the tenth of the month, saying, Son of man, write the name of the day. This very day, the king of Babylon has laid siege to Jerusalem. This very day, speak a parable to the rebellious house and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, put on the pot, put it on, and also pour water in it. Put in it the pieces, every good piece, the thigh and the shoulder. Fill it with choice bones. Take the choicest of the flock and also pile wood under the pot. Make it boil vigorously. Also, seeth its bones in it. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city, to the pot in which there is rust, and whose rust has not gone out of it. Take out of it piece after piece without making a choice. For her blood is in her midst. She placed it on the bare rock. She did not pour it on the ground to cover it with dust, that it may cause wrath to come up to take vengeance. I have put her blood on the bare rock, that it may not be covered. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Woe to the bloody city, I also will make the pile great. Heap on the wood, kindle the fire, boil the flesh well, and mix in the spices, and let the bones be burned. Then set it empty on its coals, so that it may be hot, and its bronze may glow, and its filthiness may be melted in it, its rust consumed. She has wearied me with toil, yet her great rust has not gone out from her. Let her rust be in the fire. In your filthiness is lewdness, because I would have cleansed you, yet you are not clean. You would not be cleansed from your filthiness again until I have spent my wrath on you. I, the Lord, have spoken it. It is coming, and I will act. I will not relent. I will not 
pity, and I will not be sorry. According to your ways and according to your deeds, I will judge you, declares the Lord God. Verse 15, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, behold, I am about to take from you the desire of your eyes with a blow. But you shall not mourn, and you shall not weep, and your tears shall not come. Groan silently, make no mourning for the dead. Bind on your turban, and put your shoes on your feet, and do not cover your mustache, and do not eat the bread of men. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and in the evening my wife died. And in the morning I did as the Lord commanded. The people said to me, Will you not tell us what these things that you are doing mean for us? And then I said to them, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Speak to the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am about to profane my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the desire of your eyes, and the delight of your soul. And your sons and your daughters whom you left behind will fall by the sword. You will do as I have done. You will not cover your mustache, and you will not eat the bread of men. Your turbans will be on your heads, and your shoes on your feet. You will not mourn, you will not weep, but you will rot away in your iniquities, and you will groan to one another. Thus Ezekiel will be assigned to you. According to all that he has done, you will do. When it comes, then you will know that I am the Lord God. As for you, son of man, will it not be on the day when I take from them their stronghold, the joy of their pride, the desire of their eyes and their heart's delight, their sons and their daughters, that on that day he who escapes will come to you with information for your ears. On that day, your mouth will be opened to him who escaped, and you will speak and be mute no longer. Thus you will be a sign to them, and they will know that I am the Lord. Chapter 25. The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face towards the sons of Ammon, and prophesy against them. And say to the sons of Ammon, Hear the word of the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God, because you said, Ah, against my sanctuary when it was profaned, and against the land of Israel when it was made desolate, and against the house of Judah when they went into exile. Therefore, behold, I am going to give you to the sons of the east for a possession. And they will set their encampments among you and make their dwellings among you. They will eat your fruit and drink your milk. I will make Rabbah a pasture for camels, and the sons of Ammon a resting place for flocks. Thus you will know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, Because you have clapped your hands and stamped your feet and rejoiced with all the scorn of your soul against the land of Israel, therefore, behold, I have stretched out my hand against you, and I will give you for spoil to the nations, and I will cut you off from the peoples and make you perish from the lands. I will destroy you, thus you will know that I am the Lord. Moab. Thus says the Lord God, because Moab and Seir say, Behold, the house of Judah is like all the nations. Therefore, behold, I am going to deprive the flank of Moab and its cities, for its cities which are on its frontiers, the glory of the land, Beth Jeshemoth, Baal Meon, and Kiriathium. And I will give it for a possession along with the sons of Ammon to the sons of the east, so that the sons of Ammon will not be remembered among the nations. Thus I will execute judgments on Moab, and they will know that I am the Lord, Edom. Thus says the Lord God, because Edom has acted against the house of Judah by taking vengeance and has incurred grievous guilt and avenged themselves upon them. 
Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will also stretch out my hand against Edom and cut off man and beast from it. I will lay siege and I will lay it waste from Teman even to Dedan. They will fall by the sword. I will lay my vengeance on Edom by the hand of my people Israel. Therefore, they will act in Edom according to my anger and according to my wrath. Thus they will know my vengeance, declares the Lord God, Felicia. Thus says the Lord God, because the Philistines have acted in revenge and have taken vengeance with scorn of soul to destroy with everlasting enmity. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will stretch out my hand against the Philistines, even cut off the Cherethites and destroy the remnant of the seacoast. I will execute great vengeance on them with wrathful rebukes. And they will know that I am the Lord when I lay my vengeance on them. Chapter 26. Now in the eleventh year, on the first of the month, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, because Tyre has said concerning Jerusalem, Aha, the gateway of the peoples is broken. It is opened to me. I shall be filled now that she is laid waste. Therefore, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, O Tyre. I will bring up many nations against you as the sea brings up its waves. They will destroy the walls of Tyre and break down her towers, and I will scrape her debris from her and make her a bare rock. She will be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea. For I have spoken, declares the Lord God, and she will become spoil for the nations. Also her daughters who are on the mainland will be slain by the sword, and they will know that I am the Lord. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will bring upon Tyre from the north Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the king of kings, with horses, chariots, and a great army. He will slay your daughters on the mainland with the sword, and he will make siege walls against you, cast up a ramp against you, and raise up a large shield against you. Verse 9. The blow of his battering rams he will direct against your walls, and with his axes he will break down your towers. Because of the multitude of his horses, the dust raised by them will cover you. Your walls will shake at the noise of cavalry and wagons and chariots when he enters your gates as men enter a city that is breached. With the hoofs of his horses, he will trample all your streets. He will slay your people with the sword, and your strong pillars will come down to the ground. Also, they will make a spoil of your riches and a prey of your merchandise. Break down your walls and destroy your pleasant houses and throw your stones and your timbers and your debris into the water. So I will silence the sound of your songs and the sound of your harps will be heard no more. I will make you a bare rock. You will be a place for the spreading of nets. You will be built no more. For I, the Lord, have spoken, declares the Lord God. Thus says the Lord God to Tyre, Shall not the coastlands shake at the sound of your fall when the wounded groan, when the slaughter occurs in your midst? Then all the princes of the sea will go down from their thrones, remove their robes, and strip off their embroidered garments. They will clothe themselves with trembling. They will sit on the ground, tremble every moment, and be appalled at you. They will take up a lamentation over you and say to you, How you have perished, O inhabited one. From the seas, O renowned city, which was mighty on the sea, she and her inhabitants, who imposed her terror on all her inhabitants. Now the coastlands will tremble on the day of your fall. 
Yes, the coastlands, which are by the sea, will be terrified at your passing. Verse 19, For thus says the Lord God, When I make you a desolate city like the cities which are not inhabited, when I bring up the deep over you and great waters cover you, then I will bring you down with those who go down to the pit to the people of old, and I will make you dwell in the lower parts of the earth like the ancient waste places with those who go down to the pit so that you will not be inhabited, but I will set a glory in the land of the living. I will bring terrors on you, and you will be no more. Though you will be sought, you will never be found again, declares the Lord God. So we have a lot of different prophecies going on there in the beginning. Of course, in the, in the first part, we see Jerusalem as a boiling pot with rust, and essentially a prediction that on the day that is given this prophecy, he is being told Jerusalem right now is being sacked. Nebuchadnezzar is going in, and now, now your temple is going to be destroyed and burned, burned up like on the fire, and the people are going to be slaughtered. And they're like put. They're being put into a, a melting pot, a boiling pot, and and the reason the the are is because of the rust. See, there's no purification there. It's all impure. The rust has come in and tarnished what was there, the holy place and the city. And they would not. They refuse to be cleansed. And so, God says, "I'm going to purify it with my fire. I'm going to cleanse it with my fire." And you are going to see that this place is going to be an utter ruin. And I'm going to kindle a fire in it. So Nebuchadnezzar is going to come in and do all this all this work. So he's to tell the people about this. And they're also to know the certainty of this beginning and the certainty of this happening. And they're, and they're going to suffer the loss of their beloved temple and their beloved, the, the object of their, their love and their dedication in their life was their temple in the city. And so he says, I'm going to take Ezekiel's wife. Ezekiel, you're going to lose your wife because that's the object of your love. And, and, your passion and what you are, are dedicated to. And, and it's going to create this huge void in your life. So I'm going to take that. So the people, you can understand the city and the temples like their wife. And he says, just so you know, I mean what I say, because they're, they're 900 miles away. They're far off. How are they going to know if this is real or not? And so they see he's prophesying that his wife die, is going to die and she dies. So this was for sure something God was doing. That's why I don't want to be a prophet. Man, these guys went through tough. It was hard what they had to go through. So that happens, and it's completely destroyed. 586 BC, they have this great destruction. So now the the countries right around them in the next chapter are laughing and going, ah, yeah, they're just like any other nation. You know, Babylon is more powerful. They don't really have a strong God. They don't really have, Yahweh is no other, no different than the other God. And yet all through the reigns of of from David on down, when they were established, even back in the time of the judges, they were always saying, no, our God is more powerful. He's the only God, and as long as we are faithful and obey him, then we don't, we don't have anything to worry about. So now God says, I'm going to judge you because you dared to challenge my, my sovereignty over the world and over the nations and Israel, and you, and you are uh, deriding and laughing and mocking my chosen people and it's kind of interesting <laughs> that he would do that even though they've already fallen but these they're trying to get them to understand that he was he was disciplining them he was bringing them through this hard time 
so that they would be purified, they would be useful to him in the future. So we see all the judgments on these nations around them. And then finally on Tyre. Tyre was the just northwest up on the coast of above Jerusalem. And they were the most powerful fortified city for generations there. Their, the nation was, they had, the city was on the mainland and their fortified city and the, all of the ships and, the, and all the merchandise was on a, a rock island that was connected essentially or kind of connected to the mainland. Uh, and so they could defend themselves well by sea and do a lot of commerce. So all the princes came there and, uh, and they were very prideful. And when they saw Jerusalem fall the four years later, they said, well, now that they've fallen, even though it was by Babylon, they said, we're going to go in and kind of take the spoil or take control or whatever they were thinking was. And God said, mm. again, they were not honoring the God of Israel and not understanding what he was doing and mocking everything going on and thinking they were safe and secure in their fortified city because they'd been a dominant power for so long. And I guess had resisted uh, Babylon for years in their attempts to to uh, defeat them. So God says, okay, no more. Now I'm going to let them defeat you. And you're going to be uh, laid waste and no longer a city anymore. No longer going to be a superpower. And this is what happens. It's a long siege. He comes in and finally uh, does. And, and then the Persians come in and do the same thing. And finally, Alexander the Great comes in and I think completely destroys it. He's the one that's a famous story. He makes a causeway from the island out to the fort, fort, um, fortress because there was no bridge there or anything um, by by th- throwing rocks into the water and making one. And it's still there under the water today, so they say. First Peter 2, as newborn babes, therefore putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord as living stones and coming to him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, and to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now you are a people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy." Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in it the thing in which they slander you as evildoers 
they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Verse 16, act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood. Fear God, honor the king. Servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are irresponsible. For this finds favor. For if the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering and unjustly, for what credit is there if when you sin and are harshly treated, but endure it with patience? But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. Verse 21. But you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd, the guardian of your souls. That's such a wonderful chapter. And there's way too much there to go into because there's so many good things there stated for us. But um, we are to taste and see that the Lord is good. I, that came to mind because we just mentioned that um, Sunday or Sunday before, actually, looking at Christ being a type of the tree of life, bearing the fruit that we are to taste. When we taste that fruit, we, are, we can see that he's good, and in tasting the fruit, we gain eternal life. We are a part of it. Now, again, it's just a type. It's not, he wasn't literally the tree. But there's, there's interesting comparisons that we find our life in Jesus Christ. And he was the fruit of our salvation, in a sense, and that he willingly went to the cross. And this is what Peter says, that he, he bore our sins on the cross. And by his wounds, we are healed. And so we see this marvelous concept of the basics of salvation. This is why I believe he says, as newborn babes desire the milk of the word, the the milk of the word is the simplicity of the gospel. We are to continually to desire that. Yes, we are to be mature, that when we grow in Christ, we are to seek the meat of the word and grow deeper in, in aspects, in respects to our salvation, and know the prophecies, know the word. But the desire is just for the simple, beautiful gospel message. We, we know that Jesus loves me, this I know, the Bible tells me so, he he offered himself up. I'm healed. I am given new life through what he did on the cross. And so we are to press on to maturity, but always being desiring this, because in so doing, you find the value of salvation. You understand who you are, what Christ did for you. You don't get caught up and spend all your time in theological debates of, of all of these complex issues on the church and, and, and get off kilter and lose the balance and get so far into theological thoughts that you forget the simplicity 
of your salvation and the glorious knowledge that we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. And I think that's kind of what he's getting at there. Charles Spurgeon now, Who art thou, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shouting, crying, Grace, grace unto it. For this hour a mountain of difficulty, distress, and necessity may be in our way, and natural reason sees no path over it, or through it, or around it. Let faith come in, and straightway the mountain disappears and becomes a plain. But faith must first hear the word of the Lord, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. This grand truth is a prime necessity for meeting the insurmountable trials of life. I see that I can do nothing, and that all reliance on man is vanity. Not by might. I see that no visible means can be relied on, but the force is in the invisible spirit. God alone must work, and men and means must be nothing accounted of. If it be so that the Almighty God takes up the concerns of his people, then great mountains are nothing. He can remove worlds as boys toss balls about or drive them with their foot. This power he can lend to me. If the Lord bids me move an alp, I can do it through his name. It may be a great mountain, but even before my feebleness, it shall become a plain. For the Lord hath said it. What can I be afraid of with God on my side? And this has been the the way men have lived ever since the cross. The insurmountable things that come against us. But when God calls you into something and shows you the path, whatever mountain is put before you is made low. And many of us have seen him do that. And I, I would only pray that we would be open to it more and more. I know I would like to be. It's so easy to fall into doubt and uh no way, kind of, you can't see there's no way that that could ever happen. But you forget that God says, yes, I know that by man's standard, but by my standards, there is a way. I can move mountains, and I can do it through you if you'll let me. I thank God for men of great visions and great faith that have seen God do that and continue to do that and continue to pray that for us, <laughs> us all, but here here in, in our little church in Vallarta, you know, there are the mountains of hedonism here and uh, lasciviousness and, uh, and uh, as there is in most all places, but there is such a hardening for so many people to surrender unto the Lordship of Christ because this is Sodom. There's just so much of the flesh here. But we can pray that God would remove those mountains. We want the word to go out. That's why we want manna for breakfast to go out, the radio station to go out, the teachings to go out, our evangelism team to go out, those people working out in the colonias, everybody in church sharing with their neighbors. We pray that this would go out and be efficacious, that God would use it, and so that people would come to know the mercy and the grace and the healing that is available the mountain that's there for us locally. And then, of course, we see the great mountain that's there right now in Israel again as they're dealing with this incredible uh, onslaught of these terror organizations in these countries all around them on all sides and world opinion and riots and all kinds of stuff. Let's just keep them in prayer and ask God to be working through the leaders and show them that if they would continue to fall at his feet and seek the God of Israel, there's no mountains that won't, that he will not move. Let's pray. 
Father, we do praise you and thank you for what you are doing today, God. As we understand, at least 13 hostages have been released. We rejoice in that and thank you. And Father, may you continue to bring them home. May you continue to bring the next group home tomorrow. And in the meantime, God, we pray that you would be speaking to everyone involved in this war, be it on Israel's side, to give them direction on how to finish this war, but even on the side of the Palestinians, especially those caught in the crossfire, that you be revealing to them the your glory and help them understand the, the reason why they are caught in such a difficult situation, the why these things have been, uh, why the world is, is focused on this and why there's so much suffering. Help them to gain an understanding that the real enemy is Satan. The real enemy is the deceiver and the liar who is, who's been lying and deceiving them since the beginning and help them, God, dream dreams, have visions, and come to a knowledge of who you are. Thank you for your continued provision here in our little town. And for those that are listening, God, we continue to ask you to pray for them as we come into the Christmas season, family are coming, people going, traveling. God, there's so many different expenses, so many things. We need your mercy, your protection, and uh, we need for the providers of the family to be able to make a living so that we can continue on and help us, God, to be as one body, one mind, one church in serving you. So thank you for this day. Continue to, to bless Ruby. Hopefully she's feeling better. Um, and bless um, Miss Madi with her business and uh, all she's going through, God, and her family. We thank you that her family's coming down to visit her. But she has so much responsibility uh, this time of year as well. So we pray a special blessing upon her. And for all you're continuing to do in the church, thank you for just a, a great Thanksgiving last week and now with all of the plans for the outreach for Christmas and for the men's conference and everything going on down there, we pray for all of these things, God, that you would help us give direction, give uh, real clear instruction on how to use it for your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. There we go, guys. Still still ending a little bit late for trying to cut it down to get it under 30 minutes, but we're going to keep keep shooting for it. So bless you all. Uh, again, I'll record today for tomorrow so you can pick up the Sunday's Manna for Breakfast on the podcast. So look for it uh, probably sometime in early tomorrow morning, late tonight. I'm not sure when it's going to get out. Okay? See you guys. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.